Welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty, hosted by Jody Katz, founder and creative director of Base Beauty Creative Agency. Hey, it's Monet Everett, celebrity and editorial hairstylist, and you're listening to Where Brains Meet Beauty. This is the podcast that I tune into when I want Jody Katz to tell me all about what's going on in the beauty industry, what I need to look out for, and who I need to listen to. She's got all of the insights. Tune in to learn more. Hey guys, what's going on? Um, Where Brains Meets Beauty fans, my name is Omar. Um, I also go by Saints. I am the head designer, founder, etc. at uh, Saint Omar, which is my own clothing line. Follow me on Instagram at Saint underscore Ohms dot PNG. That's Saint underscore O-M-S dot PNG. Stay up. Hey, everybody. It's Jody Katz, your host of Where Brains Meet Beauty podcast. I'm so excited that you tuned in today. This is our first episode of 2020, and this is actually the start of our third year of the podcast. So we're super excited to have another phenomenal year. This week's episode features Kirsten Kier Weiss. She's the founder of Kier Weiss. And the last episode of 2019 featured John Costanza. He's the CEO of Beauty Quest Group. I hope you enjoy the shows. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. I am happy to be sitting with Kirsten Kier Weiss. She is the founder of Kier Weiss. Welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty. Thank you so much for having me. This is our first episode of 2020. Yeah, I love that. This is so cool. <laughs> Stepping into a, a new decade. Uh, I couldn't be more pleased. Thank you. And um, I've been excited to have you on the show for quite some time. We shared a copywriter in common, a freelance copywriter, Julie. Yes. So thank you, Julie, for making yes. the connection. Love Julie. Yeah. So um, I can't wait to dive into your story because you have so many fans. I mean, almost everywhere I go, people talk about your brand. Um, but you. I want to start with one of my favorite questions, which is how will you be spending your day today? So today, Tuesdays are actually the, our meeting sort of day in the office where we try and have not all our meetings, but most of our meetings sort of back-to-back -back so that it leaves the rest of the week some time to actually just focus on your personal stuff. So this is a nice break, uh, popping up here talking to you, but then I'll go back uh, to the office and dive straight into meetings again. And have you found that system of one-day meetings super efficient? I, I do think it is. It, it sort of sets you up for the day, you know, and uh, as I said, it doesn't exclude having meetings the rest of the week, but this is really where we try and, and, and cover the basis. And then the rest is, you know, more, uh, we have to do this, we we have to cover this type of stuff, you know, and, and really just allowing people, you know, some space and time to work on their own, their own things, you know. I do yeah. love this idea because um, I'm sure our listeners find themselves in meetings all the time, yeah. all week long, and there's yeah. actually not enough time to do the work. Right. Just keep meeting about the work. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and it's a, you know, it's a balance and we still juggle it, believe me. But it's it's sort of a, a good step that seems to work for us, you know, uh, in terms of solidifying a day where this is our goal to get through uh, the sort of key things of the week and then, you know, uh, just try and fill in as little as possible for the rest of the week. I think I want to adopt this idea because mm -hmm. we have 
status me- some status meetings for some of our clients on Mondays and then some on Tuesdays and some yeah. on Wednesdays. And maybe if we just make Wednesday the day. Yeah. Um, and then the rest of the week is for, you know, connecting with clients and doing, you know, all external things and the work. Okay, yeah. so I'm going to try this. Yeah. I'll, I'll, okay. I'll, I'll let you know how let this works. Let me know works. how it goes. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a good idea. Yeah. So um, the first time I met your brand, I was at Space NK. Mm-hmm. Is that one of your first retailers? Yes. It was uh, way back in the days, like literally in 2010 when I first launched uh, the brand. Uh, I lost, launched with Space NK back then, and uh, eventually we split ways. You know, I think there was a mutual understanding of that it was too early for both of us. You know, certainly on my end, uh, you know, having that size of, you know, and, and that type of volume right from the beginning when it's a one-woman show uh, proved to be uh, too big of a mouthful. And I, mean, I think... Uh, I don't want to speak for Space NK, but I think I can, you know, it's safe to say that they also felt the category that the brand, you know, sort of fits into, which is the merging of two, you know, sort of sides in the beauty, which is the all-natural with the luxury. They didn't quite... feel that it was the right fit like where do we put you are you green are you luxury and you know by the brand actually being both it was just hard to position it um so yeah uh that i was with them you know for about a year year and a half and then we sort of uh amicably split and uh uh, you know, but I still think it's a beautiful store. Absolutely. I um, yeah. I was so taken by your packaging and um, still am. Thank you. And as somebody on the business side of, you know, yeah. designing and making packaging and brands come to life, I was so taken with the investment. You know, when I when I see these things, I think about their beauty, but then I think about, oh my God, somebody has to invest in, right. <laughs> in this, right? <laughs> right? So um, I know that's a lot of stuff that we talked about in the intake call around yes. your your vision. Um, and I think it's such a great story to talk about your vision and your goals and how you went after them because mm-hmm. a lot of people who are listening who are either thinking of becoming entrepreneurs or who are, are in their journey and are in a moment of struggle, um, you, you kind of lose sight of the fact that you can just ask for what you want. And yeah. Sometimes things happen. So yeah. take us on this journey of yeah. um, you know starting the brand and wanting to be really distinctive in your packaging. Yeah, I mean, I, I, from the get-go, really wanted to have something that was unique. You know, some, I love design. You know, I, it just feeds me, you know, and I think it has purpose in life. You know, I think it matters what we surround ourselves with, not necessarily just uh, from a superficial sort of standpoint, you know, but really there's a reason why, uh, you know, you might invest in a bouquet of flowers every week because that feeds you, you know, like somebody invests in a beautiful watch. You know, and and I think, you know, it has purpose. And so why wouldn't that translate into beauty products? You know, and certainly at the time when I started working, you know, on the brand, which was in the early 2000s, you know, like the natural sort of lines out there weren't known for the luxury packaging. It was, uh, you know, very basic. And why couldn't they have that luxury aspect? So it was more just like questioning... Um, the status quo, if you will. Uh, But then the goal still, you know, was to have something that was sustainable, you know. And so a lot of times that is what you would find in in the packaging, you know, for the natural brands back then. It was more like recycled paper, et cetera. But it also just looked very 
recycled, you know. And so I just had this dream and that I would love to create something that really read luxury, that, you know, eliminating all compromises in this product, whether it was for the inside product, the actual product, or for the, you know, packaging or the secondary packaging. Uh, and so that was the goal. And then still have it be a combination of lux and sustainability, you know. So that was my proposition for the, the the outside packaging, if you will. And I started, you know, just working on it with a dear friend of mine in Copenhagen, where I'm from. Uh, you know, he is an art director and also knows, you know, uh, product packaging, etc. And we started doing, you know, a bunch of prototypes in materials that were still, you know, sustainable. Maybe you could recycle it. Um, but the problem was there wasn't really a material that truly read luxury that was recyclable. And so I constantly, we got close, I think, you know, in terms of that what was uh, a beautiful look. But I had always obsessed specifically about the work of a gentleman called Mark Atlan. Uh, and he's done the Comme de Garçon perfume bottles. He's done done to work for Helmut Lang, etc. And I thought, if I don't go to the source <laughs> and see if it's possible for me to feel that way, you know, when I hold something in my hand that I do with the Comme de Garçon perfume bottle, uh, and then it's actually my own, you know, then... I'll probably never forgive myself. So, you know, I reached out to him and just said, you know, I'm a massive fan of what you do. And um, it's just one of those moments that I feel where you, you know, like, for me, it was meant to be. I think I speak for Mark as well. We feel that this was just like a coming together of kindred spirits, you know, and we were able to create this packaging that in the end really holds both. You know, it's uh, the silver compacts that, you know, very much read the read luxury, yet they aren't recyclable. So in the end, it became a refill system. So you really just buy this silver compact once and then you can keep refilling it. So let's just go back to, um, you have a high regard for his work. Mm -hmm. Did you, like, find him on LinkedIn? Did, like, how did you, like, actually find this person? I Googled him. You know, I found his website, and I just cold emailed him. You know, wrote uh, an email that I went over a million times before I <laughs> clicked send. <laughs> And and just put in there, you know, like I am just uh, admiring what you're doing. I think it's uh, timeless. It's unique. It's uh, it's so beautiful. And this is what I'm trying to do. Yet I constantly run up against this wall of not being able to merge these two worlds. And uh, and then I also put in there, this might be the most ridiculous email you've ever received. But then, hey. You know, and he was kind enough to write back, you know, pretty fast and say, you know, this actually sounds really interesting. Uh, you know, at the time he had mainly been doing designs for perfumes and skincare, not really color. So I think he also thought this was an, you know, sort of an interesting challenge uh, to find a way of actually finessing this sort of combination of luxury and sustainability. So the lesson here is just send the email. Just send the email. I mean, what have you got to lose at the end of the day? You know, like... Uh, I also, you know, just shared with him, you know, the fact that I was uh, admiring his work, you know. And so, I, I guess, you know, I it was just, uh, in an essence, a fan letter, you know. Um, 
And then with that little sort of caveat of, I'd love to work with you. Yeah. Right. So, like, think of how many um, people, I mean, sure, everybody who's listening, there's someone they're a fan of and they've thought about, can I DM them? Can I email mm-hmm. them? Can I LinkedIn them? Yeah. Are they going to ignore me? Like, you know, how will I feel afterwards? Like, people, we, we all overthink this yeah. so much, right? I I absolutely agree. I think, uh, you know, back then there was really only, you know, like email or phone <laughs> or sending a, you know, a physical letter. <laughs> or you could have sent a fax. I could have said, that's true. <laughs> yes, I could. Yes. Um, I think the, 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 the bottom line, the message in all of it is like, what have you got to lose? You know, you are actually sending an email that is very positive and uh, kind. Um, and the person can, you know, take it or leave it. Uh, but there's nothing offensive in it. And, and you just have to go for it. You just have to jump. You know, it's it's not a, a super risky thing to do. And, and if you... If you don't hear back, I mean, life goes on, right? right? I mean, it's 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 really just no uh, deeper than that, in my opinion. You know, yeah, it I, is what it is. I think our egos get in the way sometimes, yeah, though, right? I agree. We're we're afraid to take a risk because it will feel like an, uh, an affront, right? If we don't yeah. get the response we want, yeah. Um, well, I love I love that you were so brave and you did this because it really is phenomenally gorgeous packaging that is so timeless, and I love that it's refill system. I mean. We have a lot of clients who say they want to do better with packaging, but like it's hard, mm-hmm. right? Like there's really not, we're making products that people consume. Right. And also like a lot of times people try it and they try it a few times, they don't even want it anymore, right? right? They don't right. empty all their products. So it's a really challenging thing to be in the business of creating consumables, um, but also trying to do that with minimal impact. Um, yeah. I'm curious if you've considered um, uh, doing away with the primer- the secondary packaging. The red boxes? Yeah. Um, not at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, we're looking into different ways uh, where we can do better, mm-hmm. frankly. But, you know, the, the red paper, you know, is recyclable. Mm-hmm. We've, we've moved away from the primary red paper that we used to have, which wasn't recyclable. So th- at that point, we really pushed, which we still do, because I think, you know, the red boxes are beautiful. You can keep them and... and use them for all kinds of different things. You know, I always put my rings in them when I travel, stuff like that. But obviously there's a risk that people throw them out. Um, so now we've been able to switch over to recyclable red paper that sort of covers uh, it, which is a step in the right direction. But never say never. But I think, you know, like what I love about, you know, like the branding is sort of like the combination of the silver sort of more futuristic uh, primary packaging combined with the red, the white label, the little bit more old school, that there's a beautiful uh, balance uh, in that. So um, so not immediately, no, but, you know, as I said, it's, it's, it's an ongoing conversation in our office. How can we do better? I have this fantasy, and maybe we should just do this work ourselves, that we'll get a client like a retailer, like, I don't know, CVS or Walgreens that would say, like, how do we, how do we sell what we sell but not sell it with the type of packaging that we have now, right? Because I yeah. think it's a really a retail thing, yeah. right? It's not yeah. it's not for direct-to-consumer, Amazon, just put it in something where it could survive, yes. right? Um, but we're still so driven visually and wanting to touch mm-hmm. things, right? Yes. So what is the store experience like if my bottle of Claritin mm-hmm. that's teeny tiny mm-hmm. is not in a giant box yes. taking up space, right? Yes. So I, I, I have little fantasies about yeah. this, you know, maybe yeah. um, maybe it'll be a pet project just to conceive of what life yeah. is like shopping with minimal packaging. 
I mean, I wouldn't be surprised to see things going that way, you know, and I I would love, uh, you know, to take on the challenge. Um, there's there's obviously the the sort of to your point the the basic you know protecting whatever's in in the red box, uh, but you could in essence walk out of a retail store and then just put it in your purse and it would be fine, right? You know, um, I think I think that there's probably a good middle ground. You know, is is where I would land immediately. Um, and I think it would be something like, let's say we had our own standalone stores. You could kind of customize it in a way that it still remains branded and it feels like a wonderful experience as well. Because I think at the end of the day, you you don't want to lose the experience of purchasing something, you know, that uh, is beautiful. I think that's one of the things that, you know, has been a lot of the feedback that I have been getting, but also that I felt myself, you know, like when you buy makeup, it's fantastic, you know, that you can get it in, let's say, in a Whole Foods, you know. But there's something to be said for the environment, for the experience that sort of ties into the 360 experience. So, um, but I like the challenge, you know. I, I think it's it's a, it's a worthy point on all levels. Yeah, and, uh, I'm such a fan of mm-hmm. the shopping bag, the insert cards, all yes. these things. I was just shocked yes. you and I were talking before mm-hmm. we started um recording about my changing eyesight. So mm-hmm. I was at Warby Parker picking up new glasses mm-hmm. and they wanted to put it in a beautiful shopping bag and put the eyeglass case in an adorable carton. And I'm like, no, no, I don't want it. But like, I get, I, I mean, I the, the experience is so beautiful and lovely and they use yeah. really nice papers and yeah. fun printing. And um, But I don't want to take it home with me, right? right. So I, right. I want the experience. I want to yeah. be... I want to feel like I'm opening a present, but I actually don't want the stuff coming mm-hmm. into my house. Yeah. Um, but then we have to teach the retailers not to just throw it in the garbage can, but to recycle and use it for somebody who actually yeah. <laughs> doesn't want it or need yeah. it. Right? Yes. Um, but um, I don't know. Maybe maybe you and I can take on a side pet project of yes. re-envisioning the store of the future yes. um, on another day. Yeah. <laughs> but um, let's talk about you. Um you um, have had a very long career as a makeup artist. So take us to the beginning, like why beauty? How did you end up in, in beauty? By accident, to be totally honest with you. I, I It was not something that I grew up with, um, but I always thought I was going to end up in design somehow, in architecture, you know, like the creative sort of space. And, uh, you know, avenues took me down several roads and I ended up, uh, you know, at a makeup school in Paris uh, because I am... I love Paris, uh, and I got a chance to go to school there, you know, to actually learn makeup. And I figured that's got to be a little bit like painting, you know, and um, and I loved it. it. It just, this is back in, you know, like the late 80s. And so I returned, you know, back to Denmark, a uh, small country, certainly didn't have makeup artists and hairstylists that came on photo jobs, you know. But it just happened to be so that at the time when I finished my my year in Paris, it was actually the time where the fashion industry over there, being small as it is, opened up to makeup artists starting to coming on jobs. So I stepped right in, you know, and um, and kind of have been working in as a makeup artist, you know, since then. And moved to the States, uh, moved to New York, you know, wanting to see if I could uh, have a chance, you know, working on much bigger jobs uh, in around 1998. And uh, I've been, you know, here ever since. And have just been working on 
you know, a variety of all kinds of jobs you can imagine, from editorial to advertising to catalog to music videos. So just a sort of very well-rounded portfolio, really. Who encouraged you to go to um, school to become a makeup artist? Um, There was... You know, so I had uh, done an, an apprenticeship in Copenhagen with this incredible woman who had a, um, like a spa, you know. So I did an apprenticeship with her, you know, learning about skin, uh, et cetera. But she was also really into makeup. And her whole personality was incredibly inspiring to me. Like, I felt very much, you know, like a girl from the country. I grew up in the country. She was the complete opposite. You know, she would always uh, wear Yves Saint Laurent. You know, she had all the makeup from Yves Saint Laurent that she wanted for us to apply to the customers coming in. And she took a liking to the way I did makeup and said, you know, I really think you should pursue this and, and go to Paris and to this school called Christian Chevaux, which I did. And so... That's where it ended up. You know, it's, as I said, it was never what I thought was in my cards per se, you know, but I, I certainly don't look back. I've enjoyed it immensely. So you said you were a country girl. Yes. Um, what what did that look like? Were you living on a farm? Yeah. Oh, really? Living on, an, on a working farm. Uh, you know, my parents basically, you know, ran the farm. We had animals. We grew on vegetables, stuff like that, you know, and uh, a very small town of 2,000 people. And um, so certainly, you know, just not exposed to all the things that I kind of dreamt of, you know, as a child and certainly into my teens, you know, going to something as exceptional as a gallery, you know, or stuff like uh, like that, you know, uh, museums, etc., that was, it was part, it was on my vision board, if you will. So as soon as I, you know, graduated, um, you know, I moved, I moved to Paris and, and kind of have been traveling uh, ever since, if you will. So as a child, um, were you waking up early to milk the cows? No, no, I, I had older brothers, you know, <laughs> so I was lucky. I, I kind of just got to hang out, if you will, you know, the, the, the younger sister. And when, we, when I was about 12, we moved into town and, and uh, my parents gave up the farm. And so we lived in this little town. So, Were you sad to give up the farm? No, not really. I was ready. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to be my my friends, and uh, no. But looking back, you know, I I really loved you know just growing up out there. You know, running around. Uh, we lived right, you know, up against a huge forest, and so that was our you know playing ground. Just you know, taking our bikes and you know, running around in nature, if you will. Yeah, it was good. So, um, growing up on a farm. How did your brain and your heart even go to design? Like, you know, what what moments inspired you to think that design is is a space for you? I think that was just part of my DNA. I don't sort of necessarily recall anything specific that took me down that route. Uh, I just always liked it. You know, I would buy the the fashion magazines from Copenhagen that I could get in town and just devour them and, you know, start ordering stuff home from the stores there, uh, which, you know, drove my mom crazy. But it, I think, honestly, it was just part of who I am, you know. And uh, I just didn't have a huge outlet for, uh, you know, diving into anything out there because, you know, mainly what we did was sports. And... Um, 
But I sort of, you know, was looking into it on the side uh, via the magazines. And, and as I said, you know, when I was around 19, you know, I left and and moved on and and just couldn't wait to move into, you know, an area where uh, I could get all of that, you know, that has kind of been missing, you know, throughout my teens. Did all of your siblings and your parents um, understand your your move no, to Paris and no. your desire to do this? no. They didn't really. They, I mean, they all pretty much still live right around there. Um, but they now love, you know, coming to New York, visiting. You know, they think it's fabulous uh, over here. But they're also happy to return. You know, it's there's a huge, there's a huge difference uh, from where I grew up to New York. I mean, this is sort of um, a Hollywood story, right? <laughs> You're the farm girl. <laughs> yes. You meet some like exotic. Um, aspirational woman in yeah. town and she yes. sets you on this journey. Yeah. I mean, it's like you can't really like craft a better story than no, that. No, it, it is... Uh, I'm grateful for it. You know, I, I truly am. I I think I have been blessed to be able to do something that I really truly enjoy, you know, and, um, and um, I think that's, you know, looking forward to going to work every day, you know, that that's a blessing. Um, so... Believe me, I'm grateful for it. So let's talk about entrepreneurship because, Mm -hmm. um, you know, as a makeup artist, you're a freelancer, right? So you're used to a bit of um, an um, unconventional Mm -hmm. style of working, right? You have to go with the flow. You have to hope and pray where it comes. You have to market yourself. But um, starting a business and putting money into inventory and packaging and supporting retail is like a completely different thing. Um, Why start this brand? So... To be honest with you, I'd always dreamt of having my own company. I just thought it was going to end up more, you know, having like my own architect's studio or something like that. So it's always been what I feel was in my cart somehow. And it naturally just transitioned into being beauty because that's the space I was working in. That's one thing. The other thing is certainly, you know, just seeing firsthand uh, what you know, applying conventional makeup over and over again on all these make models that I was working on, you know, was actually doing to their skin. And that's just a reality, you know, like there is, uh, this is a firsthand experience of, you know, continuously seeing, you know, like the, the skin that is breaking out, that's super dry, that's red, the red running eyes, etc. And and at some point, you know, when I had moved to New York, a lot of the girls would actually start, you know, sort of just pinpointing stuff that I would have in my kids saying, I know for a fact that this brand really breaks me out. I know for a fact this makeup gives me red eyes. And so I started looking, you know, to for alternatives and the sort of green brands that were out there, but there just weren't a lot. I mean, this is 2000. And there were some of the German brands, you know, like they've always kind of been a, on the forefront of anything green, you know, but it was majorly in skincare. And the textures, what was there, the textures, the colors, from my perspective, just weren't up to par. They didn't have, you know, like that sort of silicone feel that we had all gotten used to. Um, the colors were a little bit stuck in the 80s. So in essence, that was the aha moment thinking, you know, there's really an open gap in the market where you could fill uh, a, a brand that would hold both, and but it just would have to be without any kind of compromises. Because whether you went into, you know, the green shopping experience, 
you know, the performance uh, came with as a compromise. If you went into the conventional, from my perspective, you know, like the ingredient profile was a compromise. And so just taking the best of both and merging them into one, that became the goal, you know, uh, and um, it still is, you know. Saying that it was 2000 mm-hmm. when, when we were going through this, I mean, the landscape had very little. Very little. Yeah. Um, maybe some brands sold at farmers markets, right? Yeah. There um, was Dr. Hauschka, Lavera, mm-hmm. like the German, you know, but they have very few products, in a, you know, in terms of color. Um, but they had lots of skincare, you know. So, yeah, it was absolutely limited. And were you mixing your own things in the beginning? Like, were you taking um, a, a skincare product that you liked and mixing in some mineral color? Like, how did you start? No, I started, um, I ne- I knew I needed to find uh, somebody that I could partner with, somebody that actually had the expertise of being able to put, you know, formulations together. Um, you know, I always had just... As, you know, like just a natural interest, I think maybe from growing up where I grew up, in in anything natural, in anything uh, pure, if you will. And so my goal was to find something that, uh, or to create something that would be to the to the extent that you could almost eat it, you know, um, and really taking out all kinds of synthetics, you know, but I wouldn't be able to do that on my own, you know, like things need to have a shelf life, they need to have the performance. And so I started going to trade shows, you know, like there's green trade shows, natural trade shows that was back then as well. And uh, at that, you know, at one of those trade shows, I met the manufacturer that we currently work with to this day. Um, and... Uh, you know, we partnered up. I was telling them about what I was trying to do, you know, and and they started doing samples for me, and I really liked what I saw. And so it's just grown into this, you know, deep and, and wonderful partnership. They, they're like family to me, you know, today. So that's another lesson that trade shows work. They do right? work. They absolutely work. As much yeah. of a drag as it might feel, like, to yeah. um, have booths there mm-hmm. or attend it, yes. um, it really brings people together. Yeah. You know, and and you know, whoever is going there is is coming there for the same reasons. They're looking, you know, they're looking to expand who they work with. They're looking to fulfill a gap. Um, and so, uh, it's it's. I feel like definitely it's it's an open environment. You know, people are there to be seen and heard. So, yeah. um, my last question for you is around this idea of growing the business. So for me personally, growing my business has been very seductive and I like get a little taste of growth and then I want more and I like, you know, but then I'm like, well, how do I get more, right? Um, Is more investing more of my time? Do I have to invest more money in Mm -hmm. a situation that you're in where you have inventory, right? We're talking about a lot of money. Um, What does growth look like for you? What does it feel like inside? So growth for me, I feel, you know, like since, so let me backtrack. You know, like the first years, uh, growth for me was uh, very organic, if you will. Uh, no pun intended. But it was it was slow. You know, as I said, it was a one-woman show. I was working full-time and I was doing this at night and on the weekends and then slowly being able to uh, hire one person. Um, and then I took on a small round of, of angel investments, um, you know, to be able to basically 
put more in inventory, you know, do, you know, new products, etc. Um, and then, then jumping to, um, let's say, around 2016, where at that point I had a few angel investors, which, you know, they have all been phenomenally supportive. Uh, but it was time to just, you know, take a bigger leap uh, and also being able to hire more senior uh, people on, you know, in the on the team that actually knew a lot more about certain things that I certainly didn't, and so now I would say growth has has kind of been, you know, learning on the go how to grow a business. You know, I don't have a business background, so in essence. Growing it slowly in the beginning has allowed me to experience what it feels like wearing all hats. You know, like what does it mean to deal with inventory? What does it mean, uh, you know, to to deal with bookkeeping? What is, you know, then you have new product development, you know, like kind of getting an, a good overview of your company. Uh, so in retrospect, I, I actually really recommend that, you know. And so then jumping to now where it's a much bigger team, you know, with uh, with people on board that uh, are very, very good at what they do. Now growth looks different. You know, growth is not as scary anymore because I feel like there's uh, a supported team around the table, but there's also some great investors that come in with their expertise. And so growth now looks like a uh, a more than, what can I say, a supported and exciting adventure. You know, the space is changing rapidly. Uh, it's it's not just a niche. It's, it's truly turning into the new norm. And uh, we sit, you know, I feel in, in a good space because it, you know, like the brand carries a lot of uh, solid pillars underneath it. Um, so growth now for me really looks like uh, the vision that I've sort of had from day one is truly to have an alternative globally for women to be able to have a product that is uncompromising, you know, yet you never have to worry about uh, your health and, and, and some murky sort of gray tones in the middle there. Well, I'm so proud of you. I Thank mean, you. It's, it's so Herculean to um, take on these new paths when um, vendors and partners aren't there yet, right? Yes. The manufacturers for product, the manufacturer for packaging, the retail partners, they weren't there yet, right? And you have to just keep moving forward or yeah. stop, right? There's only two, yeah. two choices. Give up, move on to something else, or just keep going, right? And yeah. to, I mean, as someone who's had to keep going quite a bit, like yeah. to, to keep going and realize that like it's worth your time, right? To keep trying and that there's like new opportunities and excitement around the corner. It's um, There's this meme on social that says, if you're going through hell, keep moving. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I'm like, I think about that all the time, Definitely. right? Definitely. And you have to go through a lot of I these do. things and lose a lot of money and face some scary stuff. Definitely. Um, well, I'm so proud to get to sit with you. Thank you oh, so much for sharing you for, your story. Thank you very much for having me. And for I our like listeners, that. I hope you enjoyed this interview with Kirsten. Please subscribe to our series on iTunes. And for updates about the show, follow us on Instagram at Where Brains Meet Beauty podcast. Thanks for listening to Where Brains Meet Beauty with Jody Katz. Tune in again for more authentic conversations with beauty leaders.